0: There's a classic brain teaser that goes something like this. You're a farmer and you have with you a fox, a chicken, and a bushel of corn. And you come across this river and you need to take these items across the river, but the boat that you're using can only hold a certain capacity of weight, which means you can only take one of these items at a time. So if you take the fox over first, the chicken's gonna eat the corn. If you take the corn over first, the fox's gonna eat the chicken. And even if you bring the chicken over first, you still have to go back and forth, and one may eat the other. Solve this classic puzzle, and you'll learn that reaching your retirement goals is a similar riddle. Today, on Finn Wisdom. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Finn Wisdom. I'm your host, Joel, and welcome to the second episode in the first season entitled Riddle Me This. I'd like to start today's podcast with a confession. I love brain teasers. Crosswords and Sudoku are okay, but I really love brain teasers, such as the one you heard in the opener. The kind that forces you to think outside of the box, and that short-circuit your linear logic. What makes them so entertaining is that they push you to re-examine and reconstruct the way you approach a problem or challenge in order to arrive at the most fitting solution. The reason I'm discussing brain teasers and starting with a riddle is because it ties into today's topic called mental accounting, a concept introduced by Richard Thaler in 1998. This is when you utilize a line of thinking that appears to make sense, but it is actually suboptimal and can potentially lead to self-destructive habits or poor decisions. It's a concern because mental accounting can generate misleading validations of your financial decision-making and result in the inefficient use of money, undermine a financial plan, and potentially cheat you from achieving your long-term goals. We create mental buckets because they help us justify and compartmentalize the use of our money for assigned purposes. The best way to explain this phenomenon is with an illustration. So picture this, a concert or a theatrical event is now playing in your area that you are really excited about seeing, and for the sake of this exercise, let's say you could not order in advance and had to pay in cash at the door. The price of admission is $100 per ticket, and so you head over to the theater, and as the line you are waiting on gets closer to the box office, you discover that you have lost the crisp $100 bill in your wallet you were going to use to pay for that ticket. My question is, are you still willing to pay $100 for a ticket? Try not to contemplate your answer too long. Take a quick mental note of a simple yes or no to the question. Now let's modify the scenario. Let's say you successfully bought the ticket and, with physical stub in hand, you head over to the theater entrance and wait on another line. But when you get to the door, you discover that you have lost the ticket and you're unable to get a replacement. In this situation, I once again ask you, would you pay $100 at the box office for another ticket or just skip the show? In both ordeals, $100 is irretrievably lost, whether in the form of cash or a ticket. But you are forced to consider whether or not the concert or theater experience is worth paying another $100. The response logically should not change, but when a study was conducted with a similar scenario using an admission price of $10, the answers actually do change by a significant margin. Respondents to the first scenario, where cash is lost, 88% said they would buy another ticket. Yet in the second scenario, 55% said they would not purchase a replacement. Please note I changed the value of the tickets from $10 to $100 for the purposes of bringing the illustration to today's cost, but the tugging in your brain over the two problems should be relatively the same. So what is going on inside our brain? Well, let's find out after a few words from our sponsor. Ah, listen to that background music. This is the part of the podcast where I would be discussing the benefits of my sponsor's products or services. But as mentioned in my previous episode, it's my first season and only a handful of listeners so far. So I have no sponsor yet. However, I'm hoping for the future to swap out this spot. And if you, your organization, or someone else you know may benefit from sponsorship, please visit finwisdom.com and let me know. That's F-I-N-W-I-Z-D-O-M mcom Welcome back and let's return to the tale of two tickets. Here's what's going on. Let's start with the latter scenario first, where we pre-purchased the ticket. Our minds created a mental bucket and gave the money a purpose for the entertainment expected. If all went well and we had the pleasure of experiencing the show, the assigned use of the money would have been satisfied. But when we had to pay for another ticket, that reopens the dedicated entertainment bucket and now appears as though we are paying double for the same purpose, which many might find too high a price to pursue. Why? Because we use up the money established for the purpose. Now, going back to the first scenario where we lost the physical cash, there is no mental bucket associated with the $100. Yes, in all likelihood, we would be really upset about missing the money, but the loss is not linked to the actual entertainment, and that's why it makes it easier and more probable you will consider purchasing another ticket. These buckets in terms of mental accounting. Build on this cognitive thinking of organizing, evaluating, and keeping track of financial activities. Here's how the process works. You assign a bucket into various silos you deem a value. Often, this could be in terms of expenditures, such as groceries, housing, entertainment, vacations, utilities, restaurants and bars, car-related costs like gas. I think you get the idea. These intentions are good. They're set up to help you manage your money. But it forces you to treat the money differently depending on the assigned purpose. This line of thinking can trip you up. Let me ask you do you treat money differently when it's a tax refund? Or how about birthday money or speculative investments not part of your normal investment activity? I know many intelligent people in my life who have very comprehensive financial plans yet bring up the topic of bonuses and they will tell you all sorts of creative ways they plan on spending that, quote, additional income. I've got a great case in point. Have you ever been to a casino? If you ever played any games and were winning more than you were losing, that's awesome. But what do we call that money when you are, quote, up? That's right. You're playing with the dealer's or casino's money, and chances are you're going to treat that money differently, which may lead to more risky behavior. The funny thing is, when it comes to mental accounting, sometimes a dollar does not equal a dollar. So let me explain. If you were on the hunt for a new table, and you found the perfect one in a furniture showroom near your home for $200 but you learn that it is only $180 at a different furniture store 20 minutes down the road, you would probably travel a little further to save 10% off the price. But what if you were seeking to replace your entire living room with a complete ensemble of furniture that includes three tables, a couch, a chair, and the local showroom is selling the set for $2,000? Meanwhile, that furniture store 20 minutes down the road is selling the same set for $1,980. Would you drive to save a mere 1% less? It doesn't sound worth the effort, but in both cases the amount you would have saved is $20. Why did we discount the cash when it was for a larger purchase? That's because we assigned a different value to the savings in relation to the price. Anyone who has ever been involved with the purchase of a sizable vacation package can easily be wooed to upgrade their hotel rooms, excursions, or airplane seats for just a few hundred dollars more when in comparison to the overall price. But shrink the size of the vacation and those few dollars more to spend on extras seem less valuable for what you would be receiving in return. Mental accounting works in the opposite direction as well. An offshoot of this is what's called the sunk cost fallacy, which is when your behavior is driven by the resources already committed to a given decision. This is when you feel compelled to continue the pursuit of repetitive or a particular activity to justify the time, money, or effort you've already invested. Need an example? I love giving examples, so of course I have one. Memberships. Memberships to the gym, a class, a wine club, a book club, warehouse clubs, cosmetic clubs, community clubs, or even those ever-popular direct-to-home meal clubs. All of these, you have made some form of commitment by signing up, and to get the most from your personal investment to each, you feel compelled to attempt to use them more. I have another form of club that I'm guessing you can definitely relate to, loyalty clubs. Ever feel compelled to purchase up to 5 or 10 or more of a product or service or spend an established dollar amount just to score something for free? Do I have any Seinfeld fans out there? Remember the episode when Elaine is super excited about completing her loyalty card to a sandwich shop where she purchased 10 subs and now can get one free? But... She uses the back of the card to write down a fake phone number and mistakenly gives it to this guy she's not really interested in. And then she goes to all sorts of funny extremes to track him down so that she can get her free sub. (laughs) But I'm not going to laugh too hard because I'm just as guilty. I cannot tell you how much I was driven a few years ago by a promotion to spend a certain dollar amount at the shops at Grand Central Station in New York City in order to receive this inexpensive backpack that said Grand Central on it. Looking back, that was some real wonky mental accounting I did to justify that reward. But before you can laugh at me, I bet I can make you laugh at yourself too. Are you going to tell me there wasn't a time where you were tempted by a tasty piece of pie or gooey chocolate chip cookie or scrumptious slice of cake or how about that pint of salted caramel ice cream and then you caved in and ate it? Oh, yum. Thereafter, you probably justified eating it through your own mental bucketing system by creating one labeled calories cap for the day. And you probably told yourself that's okay. I'll just skip lunch or dinner and it'll all balance out when you know darn well the nutritional comparisons are off the chart. By the way, this also can be witnessed when it comes to convenient excuses for not working out. I think I've heard them all in terms of justifications. Something like, hey, I can skip it because I walked a dog three times today. I was physically active doing household chores. Or what about the weather? It was too hot, too cold, too gloomy. Or going back to the sweets maybe you discount exercising for today because you reduced your calorie intake by not eating that ice cream. And so there's always tomorrow. Look, I'm not saying that walking an additional few steps or avoiding sweets don't count, but they are definitely not the same benefit as a dedicated workout. Hopefully by now you can clearly see the behavioral risks involved with the line of thinking. So let's get back to mental accounting as it relates to your finances. Earlier, I spoke about silos and how you create buckets for different purposes such as your day-to-day expenses, but you need to be aware those purposes are more constructs of your brain versus actual accounting, unless you actually have separate accounts at the bank for all these various financial activities. However, you may be asking, what's wrong with the bucket list? Sounds to me like a great way to maintain a budget. Well, the issue with this approach is the lack of important parameters that consider needs versus wants in short-term versus long-term goals. It's like arbitrarily assigning the value of the use of money equally on pay for your monthly utilities as money for a vacation or for saving for retirement. But it's not all bad. Mental accounting can be your friend or foe depending on how you apply it to your decision-making process. We'll get into that after a few words from our sponsor. Hear that background music again? Unfortunately, the situation has not changed since the first sponsor break, but I thought I would share a tidbit about the background melody in the guitar riff with percussions you hear in the main score. This is not canned music. I actually created it myself, so I hope you really like it. Thanks. Okay, I think it's time we wrap things up with today's episode. So let's talk about how mental accounting can be your friend. One often mentioned positive use of buckets is establishing one for systematic savings or investment programs. This encourages you to allocate a portion of your paycheck for an important purpose. The key is to determine the affordable contribution you can make without creating a shortage for essential needs and other desirable goals. Another commonly mentioned and healthy bucket is establishing an emergency fund to help reduce the impact of the unexpected. I've also seen mental accounting solely used in the advantage of retirement planning via three buckets, early retirement, late retirement, and legacy. That is another great example of how to create healthy financial wellness. But these are just remnants of a bigger picture. Remember earlier I mentioned the importance of particular evaluative parameters that include needs versus wants, as well as defining the time horizon of various desires you are seeking to fulfill in your life? I was not expecting to plug a book this episode, but I found the process offered in a book entitled Worry-Free Retirement written by Shannon Lee Simmons, a compelling argument for the use of buckets when done right, even though it is uncertain whether the author had mental accounting in mind. Here's the concept. Establish buckets into more broadly and meaningful categories. The first one, containing fixed expenses such as utility bills, rent, mortgage, and the like, And then two additional buckets. One for short-term goals like a vacation or new furniture or an emergency fund. And another one for long-term goals like contributions toward retirement. You're going to need to do a bit of math or use some tools to determine the time horizons and how much you need to put away monthly to reach the longer-term goals. But what remains in a fourth bucket is your spending money. Why I like this concept is it helps overcome an important emotion Guilt as long as you do not overspend what is in that last bucket, you should be able to spend that money any way you desire, whether it's that fancy cappuccino, new clothes, an impulsive buy online, or that show for one hundred dollars. The feelings of awkwardness or a sense of shame for spending the money for such things is significantly reduced why? Because you've paid yourself first, you took care of the financial obligations associated with what you need today and what you want tomorrow. Today's theme was all about turning the mental accounting concepts from a behavioral risk to a behavioral strength. And this can be done by recognizing how you distribute the use of your money once earned. The intent may be to save more, invest in goals-based asset allocation strategy, Or paying down loans quicker. But the true value is what you gain from these financial activities in terms of improved financial wellness. I think it's time we return to the riddle that we started today's episode with, but I would like you to swap out the chicken for needs, the corn for wants, and the fox for unexpected expenses. And it makes it easier to see how important it is to maintain an eye on your needs Feed your wants and desires while taking steps to reduce the impact of the unplanned. If you solve the riddle, the balancing act I just described between these three makes sense. But if you're having difficulty seeking a solution for our farmer in distress, I won't leave you hanging. It goes like this You take the chicken across the river first, as we described, but now you go back for the fox and drop the fox off after crossing the river. But now pick back up the chicken and place it into the boat, leaving the fox alone. Return to the other shore, drop off the chicken in your boat, and now grab the corn. Take the corn to the side where the fox is, and now you can safely go back to get the chicken. As a copyright reminder, written permission is required to use any of the content shared. Any views expressed are my own and are not the opinion of any entity unless otherwise mentioned during the program. And since we are critical thinking creatures, these opinions are subject to change. For financial advice, consider consulting a licensed financial professional. And make sure to watch your inbox for the next exciting episode of Fin Wisdom.